Hey, hey. Hello. What's going on? Not much. Uh, I don't know where John is. I left the door open back there, but um, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. But we're going to start without him. Because I texted him uh, earlier, so must be on his way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um. So I don't know where John is. Um, he says he's on his way, but um, I figure since we have a hard stop at one, Monish, do you feel comfortable leading this thing? Oh, I hear somebody, I hear somebody stumbling through the back. Oh, it's John. John shows up two minutes late to his own podcast. From Atlanta, where our traffic was rated 10th worst in the nation. Don't worry, we're working really hard to get it back into the top five. It's the Whole World Improv Podcast brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell and a man who's growing out his hair again. Not that he wants to, he's just too lazy to get a haircut. <laughs> John Mihalik. Hey everybody, welcome to the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast. My name is John Mihalik, and today I am joined by guest host, Manish Tiagi. Hi, Manish. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, joining me today. Uh, you were unwittingly the subject of our pilot episode, and I think you only yeah. heard about that when I told you. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that to go uh, to go live, but I, I enjoyed doing it, and I've enjoyed listening to all the episodes, and so I'm honored to be uh, invited to be a co-host for this one. Well, I'm glad to have you here. The reason you are helping me today, Manish, is that in a, just a fit of absolute hubris, of mad power rushing to my head, I have demoted our normal host, Chip Powell, to guest today. And joining Chip Powell as a guest is the lovely Emily Riley Russell. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. We've been going through the origins of whole world theater and we've been talking to so many of our alumni and the founding members but chip is also a founder so we thought we'd try to get his input from that angle and you and emily are kind of close aren't you oh yeah <laughs> just I'm, a wee bit i'm the godfather to the children yeah <laughs> right hey emily how did you first get to Whole World Theater? What was your journey into the theater? Okay, so I went to Georgia Southern College and that's where I met David Webster. And David actually introduced me to my husband. So we met through the theater department and you know we were fast friends, fast friends. So I was at Georgia Southern for about three years and then Webster graduated. And I wasn't dating Mark at the time, but I sure did have the hots for him. He was moving to Atlanta to do an internship, and I'm from Atlanta, coincidentally, and wouldn't that be cool if, like, I just went there, too? So Webster lived with Mark and I off and on, and during one of his visits, because he was, um, Webster is like, you know, he gets shit done. He's always hustling. And when he came to town, he always had a gig. So somewhere along the way, I don't know what house, we lived in a million different places around town, but somewhere along that journey, Webster met Jennifer. She was doing a internship at the Alliance and 
he came home and said, I met the woman that I'm going to marry. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. But he was, so, you know, he was very romantic. So I thought, okay. But as it turns out, they had a whole vision for their life and everything. And a part of that was improv. Webster had trained at Second City. I'd even moved to Chicago for a little bit to train with Webster up there and um, work and all this stuff for a little while. But um, he was, tra he trained at Second City. At that time in Atlanta, there wasn't a brick and mortar improv house. So he was like, we're going to start an improv theater. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm a real actress. I don't, I don't do that. And um, <laughs> um, Webster was like, in, in true Webster form, I will not take no for an answer. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. So he drug me in, kicking and screaming. I was like, I'll, I'll collect the money for you at the door. I'll make the costumes. I'll do all this stuff. But then we also did some scripted work. So that was the thing that really pulled me in in the beginning was certainly number one, helping out my friend because he would not take no for an answer. So I helped in the way that was comfortable for me. Then, you know, just from, you know, being guilty by association, next thing I know, I'm in the main stage group. <laughs> Chip, I think we got bits and pieces in the other episodes, but would love to hear the story about how you first got to Whole World and got started here. I was touring and was on the road. For three and a half years, I had a contract. So the contract would put me back in Atlanta for the summers because we would do children's educational theater. So we were on a school program. So summers, and if you could get the chance in spring, during spring break to fly back to Atlanta, I would, and I would go to back streets and have a good time. It was just far and few between that I got the chance to come back to Atlanta, which is why I moved to Atlanta from Savannah because I needed to have a hub to come out of. I was in the last part of my contract and I was in Texas and I spent six months down in Texas. And then I had to drive all the equipment because I was the tour manager from Texas back to Minnesota, which is not a good drive, I'll tell you. It's just not a good drive. A lot of Joe Cola going on there. And so when I got back, I was offered a chance to be a manager in their company. They were like, you're going to move to Minnesota and you're going to be a manager. And I was like, uh, hold up a second. I'm not going to tour. I'm not going to go to LA and New York and Chicago. I'm not going to fly to all these places anymore. And they're like, no, you'll be just in Minnesota. And I was like, oh, hold up a minute. Because <laughs> I spent a couple of winters in Minnesota and it was not pleasant. And so I said, can I have a couple of months to think about it? I came back home and I went to work at Einstein's, which is now officially closed after all these years. But it was back when it was like just a little house. You know, we had a real chef. It was a really great experience to work there. And I was working there that summer and we had this guy named Thomas Boyd and he was down in the kitchen. He pulled all kinds of pranks and tricks and he sang every song and he knew every Broadway musical or, you know, play inside and out. And he was just constantly entertaining us down in the kitchen. Yeah words to song like you know he'd be serving i remember red beans and rice uh -oh. Uh -oh. and then uh -oh. uh, we called it salad world and he go you give me caesar, give me caesar. 
bring the little lesbian girl that worked next to him to go, Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> and her name was Pam. She was cute as me. She'd go, Caesar. But <laughs> like, he had us all trained. We were all part of his production. And he said, You have to go and find these guys with Whole World. I went over to Elizabeth Street and met with David and Jennifer and a guy named Ron Estes. And I started taking classes with them. I started over at Elizabeth Street. Then I got an internship. I decided not to take the contract. I turned them down. It was like a big move because it was going to be big money. And I was like, eh, uh, eh, eh, no, I don't want to live in Minnesota. So I decided I to tour and work my ass off building um, some little improv company in Atlanta. <laughs> I ended up going and taking classes at Elizabeth Street. And then I did an internship at 14th Street Playhouse with Barking Dog Theater. And it just wasn't working out. I spent a lot of time. I did a lot of productions. We did productions within the productions. And it just wasn't working out. At the time, Whole World was at Louis Pool Hall. So I went over there to catch a show because um, Emily was in Crimes of the Heart and they were doing dinner theater. And I love this story because I walked in and here is a guy who's a vegetarian trying to cook chicken and his wife is there. And I'm like, this is dinner theater. He's like, yeah. And like he pulled the chickens out of the oven. He's like, I don't know if this chicken is ready. I was like, that chicken is not it's ready. It's not. <laughs> We had to put it back in the oven, and then the play was still going on. Like I think we were close to the end of the play before people got chicken. But you know, we served them dinner, and he was like, "Come be a part of our production." And I was like, "Well, I'm finishing up this thing at 14th Street Playhouse," and so I ended up finishing the internship, and I was re-upped for the next year. But there was only one production that I could possibly perform in, which was Twilight of the Gold. And when I met with their director, he said, oh, I'm going to take that part. And I went, oh, so there's nothing <laughs> for me this whole season. And he said, no. And I said, I'll check you later. And I walked from 14th Street Playhouse to Whole World. I walked in the door and David was here hanging up theater lights. And I said, do you need help with that? And he said, yep. So I started helping and I said, what do I need to do? And he was like, take Lance's class and then we'll push you through. And that's how I became a main stage performer. I remember we had a photo session very close because we had just gotten the space at 1214. And that I feel like is the first time I ever met Chip. And it was like one of those, oh, thank God, my person is here. Like I met my person. I I'll never forget. And, and we have those, we still have those cute little pictures of us, Chip. Oh, yeah. From that photo. I think I still have my notebooks because he would say, bring a notebook. And I think we wrote in each other's notebooks, like high school kids saying, are you? Ooh, I love you. <laughs> but once I saw her in Crimes of the Heart, I saw you in Midsummer Night's Dream, and I saw you in Four Dogs and a Bone. Mm -hmm. and, I, and then we went to Bomb and Gilead. And I was like, oh, we are going to be best friends because I love her. I think I'll let that's, that one go. That's a sweet, sweet origin story there. <laughs> it's also, John, I got to tell you, it's funny for me to hear Chip and Emily talk about taking improv classes. You know, that's that's like a weird mental image for me to to get my head around. 
considering that they give the improv classes and they write the right. classes. I, I remember being in one of my first improv classes and it was on Elizabeth Street and there was, you know, a bunch of kids and we're like on the floor. I mean, I was 25 when we started. So, I mean, maybe that's not young to y'all, but, you know, I was a child bride. We're all sitting on the floor and we're having class and somebody gives a suggestion, Webster probably gives a suggestion, but I'm in the scene, somebody says something to me and I'm like, and somebody said, say yes. <laughs> I was like, yes. And, well, you know, but it, I was like, hard to get it out. Oh, you know, we were definitely students, you know, figuring it out. I just had this image in my head of uh, when Mark proposed to Emily, was there a, uh, uh, say yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you live in Atlanta? Are you visiting Atlanta soon? Either way, a night at Whole World Improv Theater is one of the best shows in town. We're open for shows on Friday and Saturday at 8 p.m. And now there's a second show on Saturday at 10 p.m. That's three chances to make your week funnier and we guarantee it costs less than your therapist. 200 bucks a pop and the first available appointment I could get for a therapist was about two months. I don't know, it's a racket. I think we should just all watch cat videos because they help every single time. Yes, we're still totally safe and socially distant. We follow CDC guidelines, but like what does the CDC know? They live here in Atlanta, which is allergy central and it just gets worse and worse. What's the matter, my people? No love for the hometown? See if we offer you tissues for those watery eyes ever again. So Emily, because you mentioned earlier, like when you first got introduced to improv, you know, you were a serious actress. When do you feel like improv started to click and be something that you found enjoyable and, and became kind of your thing? Uh, certainly watching, um, you know, when you've got Lance Crawl, Jim Isa, Jenny Andrews, and um, Anna and Sarah, I mean, Michael, we, I mean, these people were so instantly, instantly amazing at this art form. And we were all so in love with each other. Everybody was encouraging each other. And, you know, my um, scripted work at Whole World gave me legitimacy as an actor to them. And because of that, they really were always rooting for us. There were so many times, with, like uh, Chip mentioned, um, I was in Midsummer Night's Dream. In the middle of that rehearsal process, I was on stage in like one of my very first improv shows. And I was in a scene with Ron Estes and Jenny Andrews and it sucked. And I'm like trying to save it like at all physical cost. And I ended up, um, I was wearing steel-toed boots, you know, combat boots in an improv show. And I did a herky, you know, cause I was gonna save the scene. And I tore my ACL on stage. And they heard it up in the booth. Like Atlanta said, I heard your knee pop. Then I did Midsummer Night's Dream in an immobilizer. And I'm playing Helena and she's kind of desperate. Like she's like, you know, got this impediment now with the immobilizer. The director for that show said, you know, Emily, sometimes we sabotage ourselves. Because he knew the conflict that I was having with being a scripted actress and an improv actress. And he was like, sometimes we sabotage ourselves so that we have to make choices. And I was like, okay, I'm going to really dig in 
now as an improver. I don't, I'm not going to do this waffle thing. And it just made me commit further. It, it made me just commit because uh, I was one foot in and one foot out. And as we all know, that does not work. That does not work with anything that you want to do. And we were so serious about um, whole world. That was the real moment where I said, okay, I'm going for it now. When you snapped your ACL, did you finish the scene? I did. I finished the show. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I did any more scenes after that. They pulled me, but I sat with the cast as my knee just like swelled up. Oh, and then it was one of my girlfriend's birthdays and I went out with her in little five points like this and, and probably crying. <laughs> but it was her birthday and I'm a friend. <laughs> Invulnerability of our 20s. Huh? Yes. And then I came home and Mark said, taking you to the hospital. <laughs> so, Chip, following up on something that my mom was just asked, when you took over the student program, you talked about how you wrote classes specifically for the different teachers. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, what goes into just writing a curriculum I mean, at all, let alone specialize for one teacher? Um, I don't... It's. It, I don't think it was specific to one teacher as much as it was specific to we've got to make money, and <laughs> make money we've got to teach classes. Ooh, we had to profitize this. Well, and Dan Webster was like, "Let's do this," and so we came up with a six-month program where we would have each instructor teaching a six-month program. So we would have Jim and Lance and Michael. We would have, we filled the space, all the spaces with six-month programs. And I would even teach three classes on Sundays starting at noon and going all the way until, you know, 7 p.m. What we were doing was trying to build a program that people would come in and we were taking 25 students per class at the time. We had ads in Creative Loafing. I think Lynn even did AJC. We auditioned on every um, telephone poll. Remember, you could do that back then. Yeah, yeah, signs yeah. on polls, signs on polls. We go out, signs on polls. Tables out here in the theater and we just ran through people. And if they could pass the audition, we would put them in a class and they would pay for six months of training with each instructor. The problem was six months is a long time. And- uh, All in love. Well, yeah, there was a lot of- We've heard a lot of stories yeah. already about a heen and sheen. Yep. And so I, at that time, when we had our other space down at the end of the building, I had an office and I would actually have students come into the office and talk to me. And I immediately realized what a mistake that was because uh, all the conversations were about Oh, um, I sat with my instructor and now he's not talking to me. Can I move over to the class? And I was like, oh my God. And there was a lot of that going on. Can I go here? Can I go there? Oh my God, my feelings are hurt. And I had to go to the instructors at the time and go, guys, seriously, stop sleeping with your students. It was a it was an interesting process to build the program though. I mean, it really was fun because we were working with David at the time 
on what should week one look like? What should week two look like? What should week three look like? And so we were building those six months in a syllabus program that I thought was really genius. And it did work because we got people to become main cast members based on that program. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, a a lot of that was really built organically. What were we going through? What were we training on in main stage? Because whatever we were doing was being executed on stage and it was successful or not. And Webster was really good at diagnosing what needs move and how we need to flex it to um, teach it to other people. Yeah. And then once we all started teaching as an improviser, you get so much better. Everything, once you got to say it, it clicks. And it was just, we were all getting so much better. And then the teaching gets faster, you know, more efficient. Yeah. Tell us about when all that's starting to happen in the show, you know, the curriculum starting to click and the shows are starting to click. What were those? Were there any like crazy like moments that you remember where we have a sold out show early on and you're like, wow, this is really something. It was crazy almost like from the get go when we got 1214, it was a black box with um, just chairs that we brought from Elizabeth Street. And I mean, and the whole tattoo crowd ship. I mean, you remember all this. I mean, it was like everybody, we had this following and it started, it just was fast. It was really fast because we were charging like five bucks a show. And then it was like, we got to get more people in here because the demand was there. And that's when we built risers. We got all of these couches, y'all, from like Goodwill. And Lance's parents at one point said, I think this couch that we sat on has fleas. So I think at that point, um, then we got my bit, my bright idea was we got sheets and we dyed them. And then I sewed like rickrack and dingle dangles, those little balls and stuff to make them cute. And we covered these Salvation Army couches in sheets because so that the fleas wouldn't get on the people. Um, But we built the risers. We've got the main stage space and the risers were pushed just a little bit more forward. There was no stage. The cafe was in front and the booth has always been where it is, but the cafe was in the front, if you can even imagine. So you just came in through that front door and turned left and you'd be there. But once we built the risers, then we got double the crowd. Everything moved really quickly because the show rocked. I don't know when... I honestly don't remember when dads um, started. They they started shortly after us, but there was more than enough audience to go around for sure. And we were, I mean, we were just killing it because Webster got 1216, which is where the cafe is now. So then we could make the risers bigger. We built the stage. Then 1216 filled up with audience members and we had cameras out there capturing people laughing out in the cafe. We needed a place for the actors to live, 1226. And then we got 1212 just because we could. (laughs) A lot of it was based on the fact that the original cast was so passionate about what we did that we helped promote it. There was not one company member that did not go out into the streets, go downtown and perform on the street. We did fire drills, as we like to call them, where we took boots and we ran into the traffic and said, give us money for our nonprofit organization. Not one member that we had in main cast that was not out self-promoting at all times 
going to nightclubs. That's how we found all of our following in the beginning was because we were putting something in their hand. We were asking for something in return and we were we were churning and burning. We've never really heard about how whole world weathered the 1996 Olympics. Oh, yeah, we rocked it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we yeah, it was like everybody came and we delivered. We really went full tilt boogie and were able to start selling out shows because then we had an international audience coming to see our show. Can't remember the name of that theater. It's still there. But Rialto. So we went down there and we're doing shows. We were doing shows at our own theater. We were going to Olympic events. I even think at that point we had shifts where if you were an apprentice, you were given a stack of flyers and said, go here and go here and pass those out. So you got to also know, like, this is like before computers. Mm -hmm. And so certainly social media. So it was boots on the ground. Our family was there. Our friends were there. Because if our family and our friends outside of Whole World ever wanted to see us, they had to come and see a show. Because we were always there. We called it Whole Life Theater. (laughs) I mean, you've heard about the cult, right? If you wanted to come and visit us at the cult. So you meet your future husband, Mark. He says, I'm going to move to Atlanta. Then you stalked him back to your hometown. Stalked him. Yeah. And then you made him come to see you at the theater. Yeah. Well, also, you know, Mark and Webster, they were tight. And, you know, Webster, like I said, like he could get you to do shit. So um, Mark was a PR major and he did a lot of marketing for us in the beginning. Mark even like ran lights. I mean, he was up in the booth. He prefers to be an audience member. Over the course of, what is it, 26 years? I think my husband has said, if I have to watch repeat scene one more time, I'm going to burn my eyes out. (laughs) Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Join us next week as Manish and I ask about the future of Whole World Improv Theater. And we learn something disturbing about one of our bosses. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast, a podcast we think is still being edited after it drops, but we don't have any proof. The Whole World Improv Podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries. The executive producer, writer, and magister officorum is Chip Powell, and John Nihalik does stuff. Okay, John, two straight weeks of humility on the credits. Yeah, I think I have broken him. <laughs> by the gentle readers. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. We're making a huge group text, and we'd love to have you on it. The Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it is tax deductible. It's not like you're getting your money's worth from the government anyway. Wow, that really hit close to home. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo. And currently, I'm underneath a hotel sheet because I had to leave Atlanta abruptly. So I hope it sounds okay. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 
Manastiagi. You are a great co-host. Thanks for being here. You're so good. I'm not inviting you back because Chip's already thinking, you know, maybe this Manish guy. <laughs> <laughs> am, I, am I getting fired right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I, don't I don't know what's happening either. 